Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. Uh, It's uh, very, very good to be here tonight with uh, the Wednesday night saints. Some might argue the most spiritual bunch in the whole church. I didn't say it. I'm just saying don't get proud or haughty about it, but uh, it's possible uh, that there, no, y'all, everybody's, uh, man, everybody's, I just know you've sensed the presence of God here tonight, and if you're, if you're with us on a screen somewhere, um, I know you have as well. We have been in a uh, series these last few weeks that we're going to conclude tonight, um, and then next Wednesday night is our prayer emphasis uh, Wednesday night, so be here Wednesday, this coming Wednesday night. We'll be praying for different needs. We'll be praying for the sick, and uh, uh, God's really been showing up on these uh, on these prayer nights, and so it's the last Wednesday of every month we do a prayer night, uh, and so we're going to come in and just go after Jesus right from the very beginning uh, and see what God does as we just gather to meet with him. So that's next Wednesday night, and then the following Wednesday night will be a first Wednesday, and uh, we have uh, guest speaker Andrew Gard. They'll be here uh, on July uh, first Wednesday, whatever, whatever date that is. Don't worry about it, all right? It's fine. It's, you'll know when it gets here, okay? Nobody wants to help me? The 6th, of course it is, I know. I'm just seeing if you guys are up on your calendars. Yeah, July 6th, that's our first Wednesday. So that's after the 4th, which is on uh, Sunday, after Baptism Sunday, the 3rd, I'm sorry, the 4th is a Monday. I'm just gonna stop talking about dates now. That's not why I'm here, is to talk about dates. So we're going to turn, uh, and y'all could probably tell, like, it's not always the case where you would know where the preacher's getting ready to say, turn in your Bibles to, but some of you might know we're going to turn in our Bibles tonight to the book of Romans, chapter number one. Good job. Yeah, Romans chapter one, and uh, we're going to look at kind of the last chunk of Romans chapter one. Uh, doing an exegetical study, just going verse by verse of these uh, verses in Romans. The book of Romans is a massively important book of the New Testament. So much doctrine. Matter of fact, you could get pretty much all the doctrine, honestly, that you would need to understand Christianity by just the book of Romans. And um, Romans chapter 1 kind of launches and hits a lot of that. Uh, so there, I mean, Romans, the, the first chapter of Romans is an incredibly important chapter. And so uh, as we have done this and as we do this moving forward, great habit to get into is when we're studying these books is maybe, maybe you add that to your Bible reading and you're just kind of reading through, uh, like for in, instance, in this case, you, you would have been reading through Romans chapter one, maybe uh, yesterday or today to kind of just be in, in, in line. And then uh, I can, we, as I'm preaching stuff, you can be like, that's what God told me. And we can be like, all right, all right, it'll be good. Um, but we'll start uh, with Romans chapter one, and then I'm, I'm gonna read a couple of these verses to start with. But let's pray, uh, and let's ask God to speak to us. Heavy content in this passage of scripture that we, we, just, need to, uh, we just need to fully trust um, 
the word of God in our, in our lives and, uh, and the word of God is enough and the word of God applies uh, to our lives today as much as it did uh, you know, a thousand years ago, as much as it did uh, 2,000 years ago when, th- when this was being written, these letters were being written to some of these churches and some of these uh, groups of Christians. And so anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you, God, for your word. And we do put your word in a place of supreme authority in our lives. I thank you for truth. I, as a matter of fact, would somebody just do that? Just say, God, thank you for truth. God, thank you for truth in your word, and I thank you, God, that, that, that the truth, that understanding it and knowing it is the key to us being free. And so, God, help us to understand, to know your truth, and let us experience the freedom that comes with that. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said... Amen. Amen. Let's start with verses 17 and 18 of Romans chapter 1. Now, uh, Pastor Marcos did a middle section of Romans 1 last Wednesday night, and uh, he did end with with verse 17, but I'm going to just overlap just that one verse, verse 17, and uh, cover verse 18, and then we're going to cover, like I said, the rest of Romans 1. Romans 1, 17 and 18. For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. All right, so... I don't know if you caught why I started with verse 17 and then went to verse 18. If you, I, I encourage you to take some notes tonight. As I said, uh, we're going to teach through some heavy content here. But it, it starts with this. The, the contrast between verse 17 and 18. I don't know if you caught it. But the contrast between verse 17 and 18 is the, the verse 17, Paul is saying the righteousness of God. And then verse 18 talks about the wrath of God. All right, we got good news, we got bad news. Up until this point, up until verse 18, Paul has more focused on the goodness of God. And now Paul shifts and goes, if the goodness of God hasn't gotten your attention, then let's look at the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is not a, um, a petty, um, angry, that's not what the wrath of God means. The wrath of God is his justice, that, that it's, it's his uh, holiness, it's his purity, it's his, it's his right to be a judge because he is, all, he is good. He is in all things, uh, all good, all holy. And so with that then comes, when I come into contradiction with that, I'm going to face the wrath of God. Does that make sense? So it's not God going, I don't like you, and so you get to experience my wrath. Matter of fact, what we just read in verse 18 is not that God pours his wrath out on people. Let's let's read it again, because some of you may have heard it that way. But the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people. You see that? It's it's the actions that the wrath, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, Causing, the wrath of, causing me to experience the wrath of God. It's not me as a, as a person. And how does that happen? It's those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The suppressing of truth 
in wickedness, the suppressing of truth in wickedness. The title of this little, my, my, my portion of this study of Romans 1, the title of this message, if you are taking notes, is the side effects of suppressing. The side effects of suppressing. When we suppress the truth in wickedness, you're, you're going to see a little, little explosion of some problems, okay? Um, I have at my house, um, and, and um, we, oh, we got, do we have something like that? We do. Awesome. So uh, I have it at my house, and then I also have one here. I don't know what chemical is in here right now, and we're not going to ask. But have you seen one of these before? Yeah. And so how this works is there is, a, there is a chemical, there's a liquid in there. Let's call it water for our sake tonight, okay? I'm sure there's nothing unsafe about this. And there, if I were to accidentally spray somebody in the eye, I'm sure everybody's going to be fine, all right? So... No worries. But if I were to take this and I start to like pressurize what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm suppressing, right, the, the space in which this chemical is, is inside this. And that pressure now is going to force the chemical or the liquid or whatever's in there to come out when I pull this trigger. Does that make sense to everybody? And so that visual of that suppressing. Now here's the thing. If I suppress and I suppress and I suppress, I'm pushing down the contents of this. As I push down the contents of this and I just keep pushing and I keep pushing and I keep pushing, never releasing the contents of this, if I just keep suppressing it, how many knows at some point we're going to have a problem? At some point, we're going to have a mess on our hands. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, look, there are people who have suppressed the truth in wickedness. They just keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down. And that's in verse 18. And he says, and now because of that, oh, we've got a mess on our hands. And he spends the rest of chapter 1 talking about the consequences of suppression. Now, I think most of you probably already know this and would agree with this, but we are seeing the truth suppressed at a level in our culture that would be comical if it wasn't so harmful. I mean, it would be laughable if it wasn't so dangerous. But the way the truth is being suppressed, I I want to show a video clip from a, a bit of a documentary movie Uh, Look, I have not seen the documentary. I've not seen this movie. I'm not promoting it. So if you have problems with it, send your email to emails at Faith Assembly. That's not even a real one, all right? No, I'm not pushing, but okay, but I am gonna show you a a person who is a, is a professor. Matter of fact, his name is, uh, I, I don't know how to say his last name exactly, Dr. Patrick Grazanka, I think would be how you say it. He's an associate professor and chairman of the interdisciplinary program in women, gender, and sexuality at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. In his biography, this, this Dr. Patrick, uh, he shows that he's been awarded research grants by high-profile scientific institutes, including American Psychological Association Society for the Psychological Study of Social Issues, the National Science Foundation, the National Science Foundation's Science and Technology and Soci- uh, Society Program. So now, all right, so he is, a, he would, he is what we would call an academic, okay? He would be an example of someone who's at the university level teaching your 18 and 19 year olds when they get to college and And remember verse 18, as Paul talks about people suppressing the truth uh, and what consequences comes from that. Okay, now with that as our backdrop, 
watch just the, the clip from, from this, uh, this little documentary. Well, I mean, I think when someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. So if a person says that they're a woman or they're a man, then that's them telling you their gender is. I'm, I'm not so sure why, what social um, in interactions would have to do with, with maleness or femaleness that would well, be- I'm not even talking about social context. I'm just, I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of like g getting to the truth again in social why, why life. Is that, why is that uncomfortable? Because that it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and, if truth? You, and, and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview. I, if I probe about what the truth is, you keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying is, to you, how is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is and you're walking on 30 seconds more of the nights before I get up. What my truth is? Well, I don't think I really have a truth. I think that there's just the truth, like the reality. And so we should begin by trying to figure out what the reality is. So like, like I said, right, it, it, we don't know how to react with that because part of it is so... Um, so out there that you, you go... Well, isn't that a joke? But yet, when you think about the results of the suppressing of the truth and that those people are leaders for a generation, yes. like, like here's, the, here's, and I'm, you'll see the, the context of what we're, we're teaching tonight, um, so just stay with me uh, during all, all of this. I'll be, this, we'll, we'll get done with Romans 1. It'll just take us four or five hours, so just stay with me until we get done. But don't, yeah, don't, don't judge it like just based on a, a portion. You'll see the context we're getting into. But with that in mind, I, I could go on to probably any uh, public university, uh, state university campus in any, probably anywhere in this country, and I could tell, I could walk up to uh, one of those students and I could tell them that I am a, uh, that I'm, I, I could pick a gender. I could say, I'm a woman, and do you believe I'm a woman? And they, they would say yes, and I could say, well, I'm actually an Asian woman. Is that, do you believe that? They would, they would, they would be okay. They said, well, if that's what you think. I could say, I'm a seven foot tall Asian woman. That's what I believe. And they would say, okay, yeah, I mean, if that I promise it would not take me long to find a student who would go right along with me on that and just embrace it if that's what you say and then I could say well actually I feel like I'm a seven-year-old seven-foot-tall Asian woman is that okay and I, at some point maybe they'd start to go well I mean I mean so can I enroll in third grade like at, I would have to go so far before someone would allow like the reality to set in I would have to go so far and why is that happening because there's been a suppressing of the truth. And when the truth gets suppressed, when a truth gets suppressed long enough, there's going to be an explosion and we're, we're, gonna, get, we're gonna get messy in the process. So Paul is launching this shift in Romans 1 where it's been about the righteousness of God and he shifts to the wrath of God and then he starts to talk about the consequences of a suppression of truth. Uh, I want us to look at that and, and how the suppression of truth affects us. And I'm gonna look at it in three different areas of our life. Uh, uh, we are made up as uh, a body, uh, as, as a soul, and as spirit. So those are the three areas that uh, I, I see Paul kind of, I think we can uh, okay to break it down in those areas the way he shares it. So let's first look at the effects of suppressing the truth on our spirit, on our spiritual life, on our spirits. Uh, and so we'll go in verse 19 
uh, 20, 21, 22, and 23. All right? Let's read this. To, uh, you can read this along with me. Uh, follow along there on the screen. Since, uh, so they, they suppress the truth in their wickedness. Verse 19. Since what, may, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Again, this is heavy, major doctrine here that we'll, we'll, we'll kind of break down and walk through and work through this. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking, look what happens when I don't give thanks to God, when I don't glorify God, I can recognize he's there, but if I reject that, my thinking becomes futile and, my full, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. I mean, do, do, do we remember the, I'm just, they, they claimed to be wise and we became fools and exchanged the glory of God for the immortal images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now here the, the apostle begins to show that all mankind is in need of salvation. All mankind is in need of, of the gospel because none of us could obtain. So he's just starting to lay this out that look, um, we, we need to be saved kind of from ourselves, And it's interesting that as Paul starts to talk about the condition of sinful man, I want you to notice something. Paul did not include in this anything about the devil or anything about demonic activity. Okay, now we all want to run around and go, well, I would be doing just fine if it wasn't for the devil. I mean, I would be so holy if it wasn't for any, all that demonic activity in my life. No, it's, it's you. Like, we are the problem. And so I think Paul leaves the devil out of it because um, now some of what he's sharing is uh, paralleling Genesis, uh, you know, 3 and the serpent and all that. Like, some of those truths are parallel, but now he leaves the devil out because you, you know now what the devil was doing back then, and so you gotta quit using that as an excuse to why I'm not living up to God's standards on my life. It's not all the devil's fault. At some point, it's, it's me suppressing the truth. It's, it's whoever it is suppressing the truth in their wickedness, exchanging the truth for a lie, and, and, it, and the devil at that point, I mean, you know, he's, he's not so much mentioned as, as part of this. Now, Let's look at verse 19, 20. We, we read that a moment ago. But it talked about that what may be known about God is plain to them. And let me take you back a few years. Uh, I, probably I was a sophomore in college and I was studying ministry and theology and I was in a, a class that was called Romans. And uh, one of my favorite professors, uh, and I believe this was kind of early on in the semester, probably was, because it's Romans chapter one and we were, we were actually discussing these couple of verses in verse 18 and 19. And our professor posed this question to the class for an open debate. And boy, we got going and we were debating. I would love to do it tonight, but it's a little bit too large of a crowd to open a debate. We ain't got, we ain't got time for everybody to talk. So he said this, though. He said, uh, okay, a man uh, is born on a desert island. Somehow his mom passes away when he's born. Somehow he manages and he stays alive. And he lives uh, for, you know, 50 years on the island all by himself. Never comes in contact with any other human being. And then he dies dies and then his life is over and then my professor posed the question to class what happens to him where does he go 
And so if I remember correctly, most of us in the class, and I was certainly on this side of the argument, it was like, well, I mean, he goes to heaven, of course. Well, why, why does he go to heaven? Well, because, I mean, he didn't have a chance, and, you know, was, he couldn't be held accountable, and, you know, I mean, that's, of course, how could we expect anything from him? He's by himself his whole life, whatever. And uh, if I remember correctly, that discussion got started before the professor read this verse, because once you read those couple of verses, let me, let me read them again, uh, he started to explain a, a different outcome for, for this individual, but it says this in verse 19, that what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now this does increase our missionary mandate. Because people are without excuse. Think about it. If the person on the deserted island that doesn't have any contact with the gospel, and then they're, if they're not held accountable then for their own life, then the missionary, the best thing we could do for people is keep silent. The best thing we could do is kind of just, let's never tell anybody about Jesus, because once they know about Jesus, now they're held accountable to that truth. But if they never know, well, then they just get a pass to heaven. So let's keep quiet. That's how that would work if that's how that worked. But Paul says, no, 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 what may be known about God is plain to them. God's invisible qualities, there's some things about his characteristics that if people are seeking and searching, they'll find, they'll understand about God. Now, will they understand everything they need to understand? Uh, I mean, there's stories out there of, of, of people beginning to seek after God and they'll have visions of Jesus and Jesus will show up and, in a dream and speak to them in such a way enough that they could find salvation, so those, those supernatural visitations um, uh, have been documented like that, but that's the mandate of missions, is that look, people need to hear because they're without excuse, so we need to get the word out, we need to, that's, that's why we celebrate supporting missions, because it's important that people have the chance because man is without excuse. It's a matter of fact, one author, author uh, Leith Samuel, he was writing about uh, some of his different missions efforts and different missionaries that he had worked with in his life. And he said he found this to be the case. Um, missionaries point out, almost all missionaries will point out that amongst uh, heathens, they, heathen tribes, let's say, they know more than we think they do. Um, they know that there is a God. There's, they have found, missionaries have found that there are almost no atheists amongst heathen tribes. So it doesn't matter how far out in the bush you would go or how remote of a village or how small of a village out in the middle of nowhere, they'll get there and in every single case in those situations, they are worshiping something. They are aware that there's something out there. Matter of fact, they, they, this author writes that our, the missionaries from the association that he worked with, as they talked about this, that the missionaries would go and start to talk about sin, and they would go, yes, I, yes, I understand what that concept is, because I, I felt like that. I mean, in these different languages and whatever. And so atheism is more of a civilized, you know, like it was, we, we, we get together and we talk ourselves into it. But when, when we're talking about just people out in there in, in, a, in a place of nature, in a place of natural habitat, you won't find atheists because they're looking around going, well, something happened here. No one has, no one has taught them otherwise. And so they're left to assume that God is active. That's what Paul's talking about here. 
If the truth is not suppressed, what may be known about God can be seen. It kind of, it kind of lends to that whole like God-shaped vacuum thing that we've heard before, right? That we are created with this source, with this need for God, and when we don't fill it with God, what happens is, is people start to fill it with all kinds of counterfeit. Uh, those who've rejected God, they'll find other, other things to worship in his place. That's what Paul begins to talk about, that they start worship, cre- worshiping created things uh, other than the creator. I'm talking about the, the source of that. They exchange the glory of God, the glory of an immortal, immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. And we read that and we think, maybe, maybe think of like, oh yeah, because the Old Testament, they would, they would worship created things to made to look like a man. They would worship created things to made look like an animal instead of worshiping God, which is true. And we go, well, we don't do that anymore. Um, I would like to propose to you that now our, our created things made to look like a man might be screens. Are, are screens not a created thing made to look like a man? And what do we do? We show a lot of worth to the screens in our life. What is worship? Worship is to show worth to. So we, we just need to be on guard and not think, well, the, yeah, this idle stuff and this exchanging the worship of God for the worship of things, we, we're, we're sophisticated beyond that. No, we're not. We're just, we're just made it easier. We've just made it more prominent. We've just made it ev- everywhere all at once. We can worship uh, these images and um, Paul's warning against that. So uh, that's how this suppressing of the truth begins to affect our spirit. Um, Let's talk about how it affects our bodies, okay? The suppressing of truth, Paul begins to go into in verse 24 through 27 on how it affects our bodies. He says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies um, with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. There's that exchange again of, of, of origin. It it's, should be the creator, and instead it's, it's created things. Um, amen. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over. We'll, we'll get into what that phrase means. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So um, verse 24 and 25 outlines the natural consequences of rejecting God uh, as the object of worship. If I don't worship God, I'm going to, uh, my, my life's going to start to turn sideways. I'm going to start to worship other things. I'm going to give my life to other things. It's going to, this spiritual decision is going to start to affect my behavior, which is what Paul's getting into here. A spiritual decision that I'm making about not worshiping God is going to start to affect my, my body, what I do with my body. And that's what Paul starts to, start to bring out here is, is what's going on with my life. Now, one of the phrases that, get, that Paul uses here is that God gave them over. We'll see this several times in Romans chapter 1, that God gave them over, that God gave them over. Um, there may not be a more dangerous place for a man to be than given over to his own lusts. Okay? There may not be a more dangerous place for a woman to be than to be given over to her pursuit of sin. Um, there will be a point that the truth is so suppressed 
in maybe a, a, a group of people's lives or maybe in individual lives, there could be such a point that I'm suppressing the truth so much that God goes, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you what you want. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you over to your desires. I'm gonna give you over. Uh, now the wages of sin is death, but that's what you want. I'm giving you over to that. It would kind of be like this, um, uh, like with, with kids. Um, I can try to keep my kids from playing under the table, because I know they're gonna bang their head on the, on the table if, I, if they're playing under the table, and I can constantly try to keep them from it, but some of you parents at some point, you're like, he's gonna have to learn the hard way. He's got a hard head, just let him go. All right, he'll learn, you know. We had people at our house one time, and we had a, back then we used to have a cat that had some demonic issues, okay? And, um, and my cat would just go for people, and so I'm, I don't even remember which parent this was, but they were at our house, and their little kid was trying to play with the cat, and they kept saying, no, don't play with the cat. He'll bite you. Don't play with the cat. Finally, they got so exhausted with it, the dad said, just let him play with it. He'll learn, and he did. My cat had a demonic seizure, and it attacked this poor little baby. Um, I'm, all right, let's move on. I don't want to <laughs> spend too much time on that, but it's, it's, that sa- right? it's that same thought of like, I'll it's my last alternative is to give you over to your desires because maybe then you will come to your senses. Maybe then you'll feel the full brunt of what you want, what you think you want. You'll feel the results and the consequences of that. So this is what God's doing as he's given them over. And when he gives them over, when, when this man is brought to a greater slavery than he's ever known before because he's been given over to his own lust, uh, Jesus in his own words talked about this. In John chapter three, verse 19, light was come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Suppressing the truth, right? Because their deeds were evil, for he that doeth evil hateth the light. And so this spiritual posture of suppressing truth now is, an, is, is affecting our outward behavior. And then, of course, Paul begins to mention some of the um, effects of that. Now, we're, we're, we're doing an exegetical study of Romans chapter 1, and so um, the, some of the sins that he begins to mention here uh, obviously talks about um, se- sexual sins, and so we're going to cover some of those uh, that he talks about and, and just bring some, some clarity to some of that, because there's a lot of confusion. Obviously, culture's shifting in some of these areas. Um, I remember, and I maybe shared, have shared this story. Some of you may have heard me share this. I can't remember if I've shared it in, in uh, one of our services or not, but uh, probably now, it's probably been 10 years ago or so, uh, I had gotten on this, um, this uh, class at UCF. There was a professor that was teaching a class called Sex and Gender, Sex and Gender in Society or something like that. Uh, Sex and Gender Roles in Society, I think the name of the class was. Uh, now, I would say that now, I, uh, now they wouldn't even invite someone like me in to talk, like, I mean, they, the, I don't know, they'd burn the place down first. I, I honestly, I don't think that they would even have somebody like me in even given a, a different viewpoint. But, but then we, we weren't quite where we are now. The truth wasn't quite as suppressed as it is now. So they used to bring in, uh, a, you know, an evangelical, um, theologically conservative person to give their view on uh, sexuality. And so I would always get up and say, this is not my view on sexuality. I'm gonna give you what the Bible says about uh, sexuality. And so in that class, it would, it would usually be me representing that. Maybe, maybe sometimes one other pastor more on, the, uh, on a conservative theological side. But, but then they would also uh, always have um, very liberal theologians theological people, um, most of the time in that class, I did it maybe like three or four different semesters, most of the time it would be uh, gay 
pastor or a lesbian pastor pastoring a, you know, a gay congregation or whatever. That's normally what it was. So, and it would literally be one side and one side, like whatever. Um, and then they would just start asking us questions and we would, we would give answers. And so, um, you know, talk about like, I, I pray all the time. Like, I take all these moments very, very serious of just sharing God's word. Like, it's a big deal. So, I, I'm always leaning and depending on the Holy Spirit. But you want to talk about praying. Going into that one, I mean, I was asking everybody to pray for me. Like, I felt like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And uh, I didn't want to do it, but I just felt like it was God just going, hey, man, I'm, I'm giving you a gift. You can go share the gospel. And I would. Um, I would always end by sharing that there is, there is change, that there is hope, that there is transformation and, uh, in Jesus Christ. And so I was able to preach that in those classes. Um, but anyway, in one of those classes, uh, there was a, 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 a gay lady pastor, and one of the people in the class actually posed the question to her, I think the person might have been a Christian, posed the question to her and said, so, so when you do study the Bible, they said, is there any passage of scripture that does give you cause, that does give you a little bit of a hmm, because, um, because liberal theology, they're going to they're gonna, you know, twist some different scriptures and say, well, this actually means this, and this actually means this. So they said, was there any scripture that does give you any cause for alarm? And I got to give her credit in her honesty. She said, yeah, actually, Romans 1. And she, talk, she talked about these verses that Paul begins to describe what happens. It's one of the side effects in our, in our bodies of this suppressing of the truth. She started talking about um, that uh, women exchange natural sexual relations with unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandon natural relations with, inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts. So as she's, she, she kind of says this, she says, that's sometimes hard for me to come to grips with or hard for me to explain. And uh, I, I mean, I, I appreciated her candor and her honesty in that. I appreciated that answer much more than one of the other guys one time I said, I said, well, I don't look at scripture through the lens of culture. I look at culture through the lens of scripture. And he, the guy next to me, liberal theology, he raised his hand and goes, yeah, I do the opposite. I look at scripture through the lens of culture. And I was like, did you, I want to be like, did you guys hear that? Like, I win, right? Like, we're done, right? That's it. Like, he, he surrendered. Like, of course you can't do that. Like, again, but if you're suppressing the truth, if you don't want truth to be like truth, then yeah, that's what you do. You then look at truth through something else so that it gets warped. You look truth through like your funny glasses so that now truth becomes all wavy and it becomes your truth and my truth and his truth. And I remember when that all started, like a, you know, a decade ago or a little bit more, and people start talking about your truth and his truth and her truth. And we kind of thought, well, there's nothing harmful with that. That just means your perspective. And all the while I'm thinking, no, this is harmful because it's gonna turn into something. And it has, and now there's no such thing as the truth, it's just my perspective or your perspective, and it becomes the new truth. But church, there's, you, you've got to know the truth. That's, that's why we would cover some of this, because you're gonna be put in situations. You're gonna be put in situations where people in your life are being taught falsities, where people in your life are watching these goofy little videos on TikTok where these people, they don't have a clue what the Bible says and they talk for a minute and they seem like they're pretty sharp and eloquent and they go, oh, I guess that is what the Bible says and it's not what the Bible says and so somebody in that young person's life needs to know the truth and needs to know, no, no, this is what actually the Bible says. That's why, that's why we cover this up. So this is not to point out any one uh, particular group of people. No, I mean, we're gonna, you're gonna see as we, as we finish Romans 1, 
Paul lists all kinds of sins. Trust me, you're going to get hit in one of the sins Paul lists. Just buckle your seatbelt and get ready. It's coming for you, all right? Even if it's not this one. So it's not a matter of singling anybody out. But as Paul talks about this, this uh, exchanging of, of natural relations with unnatural ones, here is what progressive theology will tell you as, a, as an explanation of that scripture. They will say that, um, that these people were sinning because they were going against their natural sexual orientation. That's, what they'll, that's the way we can talk ourselves out of that truth is we go, yeah, because for a gay man, it's natural for him to, to find a gay man. But for a straight man to go, to go find gay, like that's not natural because he's straight. And so that's a sin because it wasn't natural orientation for them. But Paul is not talking about orientation when he's talking about natural. He's talking about God's order in nature. He's talking about creative uh, nature and natural. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. And so it's just important that we understand um, the word. And so if we're going, no, go with nature, think, think about the mess that you're going to get in if you go with your nature. You ever think about that? Like if it's just about, it's not, it's going with what's natural to you. Listen, um, I want y'all to consider serving in the nursery for two reasons. Number one, it'll be great because we just, you probably would be great in the nursery and those little cuties are there and their little faces and whatever. So serve in the nursery, pray about it. It would be awesome. The second reason why I want you to serve in the nursery is because you're gonna see the nature come out real quick. Ain't nobody taught those babies how to be being all fighting over stuff and jealous and mine and whatever. Nobody taught them that word mine. It's just natural. It just came out of them, right? And so if we think that humanity is supposed to just go with what's natural to, like, well, what's natural to him and what's natural to her, that's the problem with some of our kids. We've let them just go what's natural instead of training them up in the way they should go. I'm not getting on that. No, I'm sorry. But no, we can't trust our own nature. We can't trust our own heart. So Paul, of course, is not saying what's natural to our sinful nature, that we should follow that. Of course not. No, he's saying what's natural in God's order, what's natural in creation. Now, it's, it's tough with the, even with the most um, progressive thought process and, and listen, obviously, like I said, in our world, um, the embracing of this, uh, of, of a homosexual lifestyle, and, and there is a difference between having a, a desire or uh, a tendency, there's a difference between that and acting on it, um, and so I want to make that very, very clear, but um, the embracing of a, of a notion of somebody would have obviously has just the, the culture is shifting so radically. I don't know that it's going to shift back. Um, matter of fact, by generation, um, people that are identifying as LGBTQ is, is practically, I mean, for all intents and purposes, doubling uh, by generation. Let me show you, let me show you this uh, study that uh, Gallup came out with. Um, and it starts with um, the, uh, what's it called, um, traditionalist generation. Um, those born before 1946, uh, in that generation, less than 1% identify as LGBT. Uh, and then the next generation would be baby boomers, born 46 to 64, 2.6. Uh, next generation. 
And this is just in that generation, not, not that pop population, but in that generation identifies as LGBTQ. Generation X now jumps to 4.2% identify LGBTQ. Millennials jumps to 10.5%. Um, and then Generation Z, born 97 to 03, jumps all the way to 20% identifying as LGBTQ. Now, here's my question. Is something scientific happening here? Or is something trendy happening here? Is something scientific happening? Or is there indoctrination happening? Is something, um, uh, is something on, a, on a teaching level happening? And I think we, we, we can understand. Like, like the, it's not that the water now is, is creating this doubling of generation of generation. It's, it's that there is an agenda and there is an indoctrination going on and there is a trend going on. Which again, that's why, that's just why we need to understand the truth. That's why, uh, so then, then a lot of churches would feel the pressure of not addressing things like this. And like I said during our, uh, we, we talked about our money management series and we said, man, some, you know, some people go, why are you talking about the Bible? Um, or why are you talking about money? And we said, because the Bible talks a lot about money. Somebody would go, why are you talking about sexuality? Well, because the Bible talks about it. And so we're gonna, we're gonna address, we're just studying Romans 1. <laughs> We're studying Romans 1 and Paul threw this in on us. We're like, oh man, now we got to cover it. Way to go, Paul. And some people go, well, you know what? The world thinks, we're, the, the world thinks our stance on, on homosexuality is crazy. I would say this. The world thinks our stance on sin is crazy. The world thinks our stance on all sexuality is crazy. Because we're, we're out here preaching, you shouldn't be sleeping around with, with any gender. You shouldn't be sleeping around. Like, like, the, like a sexual relationship is reserved for the context of, of biblical marriage between a man and a woman. And right there we lose them. I mean, right there it's over. So I can't let what the world thinks of what Scripture says affect my belief in Scripture. Because if I do that, this is just going to be the first domino that's going to fall. I mean, what's the next one, and what's the next one, and what's the next one? If I'm going to base my interpretation of Scripture on how the world's going to perceive what I'm doing with this, we're going to take the Scripture for what it says. And so Paul, Paul in this talks about it being a natural thing or an unnatural thing. And even the most passionate enthusiast for whatever lifestyle you want, whichever letter you want to choose there, um, would, would have a hard time with this, that there is a bit of biological and procreational common sense to, that's what Paul's referencing. Like Paul's going like, like for instance, if everybody was gay, then the population ceases to, there's a little bit of a, a, a we're gonna have a breakdown in the natural flow of how this whole thing is, and it's, it's that's why so much of this with, with sexuality and with gender, so much of it is uh, a, a bit demonic because it's going, that's what Paul's pointing out here, it's going against God's natural order. And it's just a, it's just a way to put a slap in the face of what, how God um, created the human race to, to act and behave. Let me, let me, let me uh, end this section with this. For about... 1,060 years of Bible scholarship and exegesis. All major denominations, Catholic, Orthodox, and Anglican, including 50,000 Protestant denominations, 
They've all held the same traditional position on this sexual ethic because it's that conclusive. It wasn't until the last couple of decades that now there started to be new theologies, new explanations of what these scriptures might have meant. Did they find any new texts? Did they find any old manuscripts that, oh, well, look at this. This really sheds light. No, they didn't. What changed? Culture changed, but not the word of God. And so... um, this, this thought that if we talk about that sin, it gets, it's, gets identified as, as hate, spe- hate speech. But as I said, I'm, I'm getting ready. Paul's getting ready to list all kinds of sins. And if I start to preach about those sins, no one will accuse me of hating any of those sins. Like, it's like the other sins you can talk about. Like adultery, you can, yeah, talk to the adulterers because they shouldn't. But isn't that hate speech if I say, hey, God has a better way for you to live than that? Well, talk to the liars because they shouldn't be lying. But isn't that hate speech if I, if I talk? Because if we, if we continue that thought process on, we can never talk to anybody about anything that they're missing the mark on. So let's see what else Paul said, and this is where it would get into the effects of our soul, and then we'll be done. Verse 28 through 32, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So again, here it is, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Look what happens when we get a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every, now with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Here we go. Paul gets, he starts hitting everybody. Machine gun sins. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. I bolded that one because that's a 2022 right there. People coming up with just new ways to sin. You're like, I didn't even know that was possible. Just high-tech sins. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees and that those who do such things deserves death, they not only continue to do them, these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. As Paul closes this chapter out, he starts to point out that, look, it's not just, it's not just one group of, of people who are struggling with this one particular sin. No, this problem of truth being suppressed and what it does to our life, this is affecting all of us. And Paul starts to catalog all of these things. And it's all of these things, what they are, they're an outsource of us trying to cover up our sin. That, that's, that's what this stuff comes down to. That's what the suppressing of truth is. It's to disregard scripture. It starts to mess with our mind Uh, instead of agreeing and repenting of our sinful inclination, instead of that, we deny or we cover up our sin. How do we do that? Paul says it. We do it by getting others to join into our behavior so that it doesn't seem so bad on us. Did you see what he said there? He said they also approve of those who practice it. When I start feeling conviction, you know how I can start to like fool myself and think I'm feeling less of it? I find other people who are doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So we, we get others to join. Uh, the, the height of sinful activity is not simply sinning, but it's, it's, it's knowing and approving and, and encouraging other people to join in on your sin. That's, boy, you're talking about sin. And so therefore this chapter is actually a call to self-examination for all of us. And when we read verses like we just read in 28 through 32, what a lot of us do when we read those verses is we are reading them 
with a look out, not a look in. We kinda, we've trained ourselves to do that. So we read that stuff and we're like, oh, gossips and slanders and strife and deceit. And God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Mm, I know some people like that, yeah. And they invent ways of doing it. They disobey their parents. Yeah, my kids, that's them. Yeah, boy, he's right there. Clear as day in the Bible. We don't remember when we were disobeying. Anyway, we don't talk about that. No fidelity, no love, no mercy. Oh, I know people like that all over the place. And we're always looking out. And so because of that, if, if, if you'll allow me, because this is a study of Romans 1, can, I, can, I just, can we take a sneak peek into Romans 2, verse 1? Just like, I know we're not supposed to be like, no, I'm out. I'm leaving because this is supposed to be Romans 1. Let's just look at what Paul said just one verse later because uh, the chapter numbers and verse numbers were put there for us to help us study. Paul didn't put them there, okay? Um, but look at what Paul continues with this in. He says, you therefore, because he just listed all the sins, and he knew that we at Faith the Sin were going to hear the pastor read all those sins and be like, I know, people are so messed up. Suppressing the truth. I know people do that. It's so bad. And then Paul knew that. And so he said, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at what point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Okay, Paul. Yeah. So this, this should be a moment of introspection and, 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 con- and conviction in our, own, in our own life. Speaking of confession, I, I mean, let me confess something. Last uh, Wednesday, I, I preached a camp last week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, and I was driving back and forth some, and one of the times when I was driving a- away from the camp, um, I got pulled over by a police officer. Um, and uh, so when I got pulled over, I really thought, well, this isn't going to be a big deal at all because my truth is I'm not even speeding. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he pulls me over. He says, uh, you know, did you know that this is a construction zone? And all of a sudden I start looking around for like, those orange barrels and stuff, and I see like two, just two of them way down, and I said, it is? He goes, yeah, it is. He said, this whole area is 45 to, uh, miles an hour. I said, it is? And then I realized that m- my truth and his truth were two different truths. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, how can you hold me accountable whenever I thought, like I literally, I wasn't even in a hurry. I wasn't trying to speed. It's one thing when you get pulled over and you know you were like flying around. You're like, oh man. But I'm getting pulled over thinking, this, he just wants to say hey. You know, like. <laughs> but I found out real quick, it did not matter how I saw it. What mattered was the truth. What mattered was the law. What mattered is really, he was the authority. So how the authority saw it. And then, uh, that kind of changed the whole conversation at that point. So, so pray for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to tell the rest of the story. But don't make the mistake of moments when God is saying, hey, there's some, there's some truth being suppressed. There's some areas of compromise. And we don't make the mistake of just looking around everybody else. And Well, I mean, that's probably not me. Sometimes God is speaking to us. So let's respond to that. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. 
Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.